you may have heard before that one of my favorite movies is Bruce Almighty. Uh, if, if you don't know anything about Bruce Almighty, the short version of this movie, uh, so let me back up. Um, as a kid, I knew, uh, like a young adult, I knew about this movie, and it sounded so heretical that I never imagined ever seeing it. All right, Bruce Almighty, no, that's crazy. Um, but eventually, I did watch it, and I discovered it has this um, beautiful, like incredibly great theology, kind of covered over with a lot of foul language and crass humor. Um, but underneath that, it's really, really good. So, uh, the, the story of Bruce Almighty is about a newscaster. He's like a, a, a reporter, I guess, and he wants to become the anchor, and he has a really, really bad day. And in this bad day, one of his friends backstabs him and takes the job that he wants, and then he gets fired. Then he sees some gang members roughing up a homeless person. He goes to help, and they beat him up instead. And then he has an argument with his girlfriend, and um, she's been trying to get him to think more about God. And in this argument, he just kind of unleashes on God. Uh, and then he gets in the car to drive away, and she's giving him these prayer beads, and he sees the prayer beads uh, while he's driving. We're going to pick up with him in the car uh, on the worst day of his life. Okay, God, you want me to talk to you? I talk back. Tell me what's going on. What should I do? Give me a signal. Oh, I need your guidance, Lord. Please send me a sign. What's this joker doing now? Okay. All right. I'll try it your way. All right? Lord, I need a miracle. I'm desperate. I need your help, Lord. Please, reach into my life. Uh, what the hell? explain a few things. First of all, that little piece of technology is called a beeper. <laughs> Many of you have never seen those before. Um, 
on the beeper is a number. The number is God calling, and He's going to keep calling. Eventually, they will connect, uh, and um, God will say to him, hey, you think I'm doing a bad job. Why don't you try it for a while? And He makes Bruce um, endowed with all his powers, right? Uh, and then, as you can imagine, hilarity and chaos ensue. Uh, I think this so beautifully captures the idea of sin, uh, right? That, that we on some level, aren't sure that God's doing the best job and think maybe we could do it better. Uh, and this, this idea of, boy, I mean, God gives us extraordinary powers and He makes us in His image and in His likeness, and He says, I want to rule all of creation as your partners, and we say, that's cool, or maybe we could just rule all of creation without you. And maybe we don't want to be your partners Maybe we want to be God ourselves. Uh, we are in this season in the Gospel of Mark in Lent thinking about the line from the Lord's Prayer, deliver us from evil. Last week we talked about God delivering us, Jesus delivering us from religion. Religion is kind of trying to control God, right, by our behavior. Uh, and, and today we have a similar but different deliverance. Jesus doesn't deliver us from trying to control God. He deliver us, delivers us from trying to be God. So come back with me to this parable that Jesus tells in the Gospel of Mark. Jesus is in the temple. He is talking to the religious leaders, and He begins to tell a parable about a, a vineyard owner. Jesus is like such a brilliant debater. It would be so much fun to have Jesus on your debate team. You would always win. Um, so, Jesus talks about a vineyard because all the landowners are the rich people in this world, right? So, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders are, are all landowners. So, they immediately identify with the landowner, oh, this is me, right? This makes sense. Then Jesus starts talking about these tenants that are um, working in the landowner's vineyard, and pretty quickly it becomes clear that the tenants are a metaphor for the prophets. And we get language in this parable that parallels language other places in Scripture. Everybody listening to Jesus would have gotten this connection, uh, that the prophets are being ignored, mistreated, abused, and ultimately murdered. And the idea in the parable is that's happening because the people want to keep the prophets of the vineyard for themselves, right? And then something really interesting happens. Then it says, God had one more, His beloved Son. And He sends His Son and He says, they will respect My Son. Now, if you're me, you're reading the story and you're thinking, I don't think this is very good logic, right? I mean, they've, how many prophets and servants do they have to murder before you realize sending your son is a bad idea? Um, but actually what Jesus is telling us is about the character of God, right? That God is um, defined by His covenant faithfulness, His hesed, His, His long-suffering. And so, God just like doesn't want to give up on His people. And He keeps thinking, maybe if I reveal more of who I am to them and more of my goodness and more of my love and my grace, eventually that will bring them back. But the tenants in the vineyard say, hey, let's kill the son and the inheritance will be ours. Literally, they say, hey, let's get rid of God so that we can be God, right? So that we can be the one who gets to run things. This isn't a new idea. This is really at the core of almost all uh, of the sin ideas in Scripture. So think back to Adam and Eve in the garden, right, where the serpent comes. God says, hey, don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil because you'll die. And the serpent says, you won't die. You'll be like God, 
knowing good and evil. And they look at the fruit and they want to be wise. They want to be the ones to define what's good and what's evil, and so they take and they eat. Even before that, we have uh, in Isaiah 14 a passage that most people um, understand as referring to Satan before he falls, um, where we're told in a nutshell that Satan's desire is to sit on God's throne, right? He just wants to be God. That's what Satan wants more than anything. He wants the power and the control that God has. And, and, and by the way, um, we all fall into this, right? At some point, we are all seduced by the allure of having a little bit more control or having a little bit more authority. And, and I can tell when I'm doing that because I get real frustrated when my authority is thwarted, right? Maybe you've had this experience when somebody's doing something you don't want and you tell them to stop and they don't stop and you get angry real fast. That's because I want more control and right? I want more authority. I like being the one who gets to decide what's good for me and what's not good for me. I don't really want somebody else to tell me. Ah, there was a very wise man that said, I did it my way, right? Um, uh, in, in a song this wise man wrote, he said at the end, for what is a man, what has he got? If not himself, then he has not. Not to say the things he truly feels and not the words of someone who kneels. Let the record show I took all the blows and did it my way. Boy, that Frank Sinatra song kind of resonates with us, doesn't it? Let me tell you a story about a guy named Larry. Uh, Larry, uh, Larry Walters was... Um, uh, uh, as a young man, really interested in being involved in the Air Force. And so he wanted to be a pilot. He tried to enlist in the Air Force, and uh, he unfortunately failed a vision test. His vision was not good enough to fly planes, which was kind of devastating for him. So Larry went on to be a truck driver, and, um, but never kind of lost his dream of flying. And so uh, in mid-1982, um, Larry went out and bought 43 weather balloons and a helium tank. This is a true story. And on July 2nd, 1982, uh, Larry tied a lawn chair to his car, his Jeep, and then tied the balloons to the lawn chair and then inflated the balloons. He got some critical things you need when you're in a flying lawn chair. So he put on a parachute. He got some sandwiches, some beer, and a pellet gun. The idea with the pellet gun is he could shoot the balloons to come down, right? Uh, and while he's sitting on the lawn chair, the rope breaks before he is totally ready, and he thinks he's going to go about 30 to 40 feet in the air. He goes 16,000 feet in the air. Uh, he has a CB radio on him, uh, and there's a great record of the conversation as he calls in to say, hey, I think I'm drifting into restricted airspace, and they say, okay, what are you flying? And he's like, a lawn chair. <laughs> so good. Uh, at the end, uh, after about 45 minutes in the sky, um, he does actually shoot some balloons, uh, and then he drops his pellet gun overboard, um, but he descends slowly. Eventually, the balloon cables um, get him far enough to the ground. He actually gets caught on a power line. He's unharmed, though he causes a 20-minute electricity blackout, uh, and then, of course, he is promptly arrested. Uh, great, great story about Larry Walters. Uh, and, and, and here's kind of why this resonates with me. Um, I like the idea of saying, hey, forget the Air Force. What do they know? Hey, forget gravity, and hey, let's forget logic and reason and good planning. I'm just going to do it my way. If I just had enough power, I could make anything work, right? And I think Jesus' message is that we don't need more power. 
We need to be delivered from our power dreams. So, Jesus comes to deliver us from um, our dreams of power, from our desire to be God, uh, really in two ways. He wants to deliver us from them, from those people who have dreams of power over us, and He wants to deliver us from ourselves. Let's talk about them briefly. Uh, so, uh, Jesus, again, just this unbelievable speaker and, and debater, He pulls out this passage from Isaiah chapter 5 that He knows all of His listeners are aware of. And he says, hey, let me tell you a, a story, but I'm going to tweak it a little bit. I don't know if you noticed the difference. In Isaiah 5, there's a vineyard and there's, you know, a, a vat is dug and a watchtower is built and a gate is put up in it, all the same details. There's one big difference. Anybody notice what the difference was? What's different about the story Jesus tells? What characters are not present in the first story that are present in the second? Anybody notice? Yes, the tenants. Okay, fantastic. So, um, in the Isaiah story, the vineyard represents Israel, and God says, I've done everything for you, and you're still unfaithful, and like, you need to shape up or ship out, people, right? But in the Mark story, Jesus adds a layer of um, intermediaries between Himself and His vineyard. It's the tenants. The vineyard still represents Israel. God is still the vineyard owner. The tenants are the leaders of God's people. And they get this, right? We're even told at the end of the parable that they figure out the parable's told against them. And essentially, Jesus says, hey, I'm not getting rid of Israel. I'm getting rid of you guys, like your chief priests and your scribes and your Pharisees. Like, y'all are the problem. And I'm going to, well, I'm going to let you kill me because that's what you want to do. Um, but, but my Father's patience it's long-suffering, but it's not infinite, right? I mean, God's going to keep being gracious to you, and He even sent me, but after me, like there's no other options, right? If you won't um, come back to God through me, um, then unfortunately God's going to come back for you. And in that situation, those who have tried to remove God from their lives and be God for themselves and for others, those who have said, mine is the kingdom and the power and the glory, will discover just how inadequate they are to take on the creator of the universe. It's like taking on the U.S. Air Force in a lawn chair and a pellet gun, right? So Jesus says, hey, uh, even in this moment, right, I want to help you, the people, the vineyard, have some freedom from the tenants the leaders. I want to deliver you from their desire to be God. So he has this great back and forth conversation. Uh, we, I want to spend more time on it, but just briefly, um, the first conversation is about authority, right? And um, hey, what is the authority that you have to do this? And Jesus talks about John the Baptist. Here's what, what, what I want you to take away from this conversation. When Jesus asks them about um, from whence John's baptism comes, they don't actually care about the answer, right? They're not interested in, in what was right or what was true or what was from God. All of their logic that we get to hear is about, hey, how will we be perceived, right? It's a huge difference, right? They don't say, hey, what's right or what's true. They say, hey, we have this power. We want to protect it. What do we need to do to preserve our power? They have this willful ignorance to God's truth. And so I think Jesus is saying, hey, if you're not interested in the truth, why should I bother answering your questions? 
right? If you're not interested in the truth that you already know, how can you receive more? But I think he wants the people to recognize, hey, these guys who are worried about my authority, their authority is all about keeping power over you. It's not rooted in their obedience to God. It's not rooted even in their desire to get it right. They just want to be right. Uh, the, the, the second thing Jesus, um, the second conversation Jesus has with the religious leaders is about taxes. And he has this great line where he says, give to the emperor what is the emperor's and give to God what is God's. We often read that, give to Caesar what is Caesar or to, or to God what is God's. Great line. Um, and I think here Jesus is not only talking to the religious leaders, he's talking about the political leaders as well. And, and I think Jesus recognizes there are a lot of times when Caesar wants the things that belong to God, doesn't he? A lot of times Caesar would like to have our allegiance. Caesar would like to have our faithfulness. Caesar would like to have our obedience above and beyond um, what we want to promise to God. And so Jesus is saying, hey, you need to open your eyes and recognize that there are all these powers out there that think they can be God um, that you need to be delivered from. But I don't actually want to go down that road very far because I think it's really easy to make this about those people. The great passage, we could spend all morning talking about those people and how awful they are, you know, the, the people that have power and how they rule over us. I think Jesus is just as interested in delivering us from ourselves and our desire to be God. So, I notice this about myself a lot. Um, I live in a little bubble, right? I live in like this little Christian bubble, and in my little Christian bubble, I'm kind of a big deal. I mean, like, I'm the guy on stage that talks every week and tells you what God thinks. Like, I'm kind of a big deal. Like, I'm in meetings, and people are like, well, Jim, what do you think? And I'm like, I know nothing about this subject, but they, like, they want me to have an opinion. Uh, and, and I recognize it is so easy for me to say, hey, you know what, maybe I should, yeah, maybe I should be the one that makes all those choices. Maybe I should, I mean, maybe I deserve to be a big deal. Maybe there's something special about me. And, and, and I can see how easily in my own life, good motivation becomes bad actions, becomes bad motivation till I end up wanting to be the guy in the chair, right? And I promise you, you have a bubble like mine. Your bubble might be a lot bigger than mine or a lot smaller than mine, but you got a bubble. Um, I, I, I can't tell you how often I've heard um, one of my kids say, hey, this is my bedroom. You can't sit in here. Get out, right? For, that's their bubble, right? In that bubble, in that bedroom, they are the absolute authority, right? We all have some range in which we imagine that we have total control and I think it's so easy for us uh, to begin to think, hey, maybe, I sh maybe that bubble should be bigger. Maybe there's more places where I should be the boss. Maybe there's more places where I could do better or I know best. There is a psychological um, concept, a sociological concept called the Dunning-Kruger effect that is really fascinating to me. Um, the Dunning-Kruger effect has been well attested, um, and it has to do with, you know what, actually, um, I could explain it, but I'm going to let uh, John Cleese, the guy from Monty Python, explain it, because he's going to do a better job. Oh, 
And I work with, or have taught a bit with a fellow called David Dunning, who is a social psychologist whom I adore, who has come up with a theory that explains the world better than any other theory. He says, he's discovered that he's been fascinated by how good people are at knowing how good they are at doing things. <laughs> Self-assessment. He's discovered that in order to know how good you are at something requires almost exactly the same skills as it does to be good at it in the first place. <laughs> so that if you're absolutely no good at something, you lack exactly the skills that you need to know you're no good. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, this is actually a pretty good explanation of the Dunning-Kruger effect. So the idea is not that it's a lack of intelligence, or not even that it's a lack of skill. It's that in areas that require expertise, if you don't have expertise, you don't know how much expertise you don't have, right? Um, and the, the effect of the Dunning-Kruger effect, as he says so beautifully, is um, we have kind of accidental ignorance. Right? We have this accidental ignorance. Well, I, well I, mean, I could do that. I mean, anybody can do that. That doesn't look that hard. Um, we, uh, there, there are so many places in my life where I say, you know, we were watching a, a dog uh, competition on TV yesterday, and I'm watching these dogs do these training things, and I'm thinking, I could train my dog to do all of that. That doesn't look that hard. Right? We, we have so many places where we don't know how much we don't know. This explains why we're so bad at being God. We're so bad at being God because we don't know what we don't know. Well, we've never been flying, and our best idea is to get in a lawn chair with some weather balloons. We don't know what's good for us or what's bad. We don't even know how bad we are at knowing what's good or what's bad. We don't know what power looks like. We don't know what real control is. We don't know what it means to be God, and often we can't even tell how far off the mark we are. And so there's really only one solution. This is the message of Jesus. This is His desire to deliver us. We need to be delivered from our power dreams and the power dreams of others. We need to be delivered from our willful and our accidental ignorance. We need to recognize at some point in our life that we'll never do the job of being God that God can do. So at the end of Bruce Almighty, uh, as he's been God for all this time and he's made a disaster of his life and of the world, um, he kind of comes to this realization and you've seen this before, but I want to show you the very end of that clip. So, uh, the ending is hilarious, but, I mean, do you see what I'm saying? Like, the theology is perfect, right? I, I want you to decide what's right for me. Like, I don't want to be in control anymore. I want to surrender to you. Jesus came to deliver us 
from evil, and especially our evil desire to seat ourselves on the throne of our lives. So you can do it your way, or you can take the words of one who kneels and submit to God, because the owner is coming. And one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that their way was foolish and Christ's was the only way. But today we get a head start. Today, Jesus has come to deliver you from trying to be Lord. Just let Him do it. Thanks be to God. Amen.